Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15 tonight. We've been going through the book of Acts on Wednesday night, and we're going to continue. I'm so excited for this time of year because we're headed into Easter. This Sunday is Palm Sunday, uh, and then Wednesday night we have, so we're celebrating Palm Sunday this Sunday, then Wednesday night we have a special communion service here to prepare our hearts for Easter, and that's kind of the direction that uh, we're going this year with Palm Sunday and the communion service on Wednesday. The purpose of both of those are to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do on Easter, and I just felt that so strongly as I was just praying over this season and getting ready that Easter is so special and so powerful what happened on Easter that we, we need to prepare our hearts to receive what God wants to do in that season, in that time frame. So, uh, so for Palm Sunday and then Wednesday night for the communion service, we're going to be doing just that. We're going to be getting our hearts prepared to celebrate the greatest day in history, right? The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you can start now. You don't have to wait till Palm Sunday, but just begin thinking and meditating on what God has done for you and what he's done for humanity. It's going to be an amazing time. Acts chapter 15, we're, uh, we're starting there. We started last week, Acts chapter 15, and we started talking about the Gentiles, as they begin to come into the body of Christ, that the Jews were very uncomfortable with how they worshipped, how they related to God, because they were so the Jews were so used to following the law, it was really hard for them to understand how these people could now be part of the covenant family of God without following at least certain parts of the law. So the big issue came up over circumcision, and they had a big argument about it. They they sent. Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to confer with, you know, all the big shots, the big apostles, Peter, James, and John, all those guys, and go, hey, should we be making these Gentile converts follow the law? Should we be making them get circumcised and things like that? And so that's what the big argument was over. Now, if you were here last week, we begin not only to look at that, but we also begin to look at how that applies to the body of Christ where, where we're at. Because it's real easy to look at the historical church and go, oh man, they got it wrong on this. The Pharisees, they were off on this. But how many of you know that there's a lot of religious tradition today? Not, not just in the church, like not just when we read the Bible do we see it. Because really it's a spirit. It's a, it's a spirit that the enemy tries to put on the church. A spirit of bondage, legalism. When we're supposed to be free in Christ and operating in freedom with Christ, Satan wants to keep us bound and in legalism. And really what it is, is it's a distraction, it's a diversion from the real gospel. And it's one of the reasons why we have 18,000 denominations, because of these little bitty differences, you know, right? One, one person thinks, well, I think they ought to get sprinkled with water. One person said, well, I think they ought to be dunked all the way under. And one, well, I think halfway ought to be dunked. And so now we've got five different denominations because we differ about that much on one little thing. See what I'm saying? That's not really how the body of Christ was meant to be. How many of you know that God never intended for his body to be so divided? He never intended that, never wanted that. But man did that, sin did that, and all of these little issues 
did that. That's why we are, one of the reasons why we are a non-denominational church. We're not part of a denomination of sorts. Now, I understand non-denominational has kind of become like a denomination, sort of because there's so many non-denominational churches. But what does that mean? It means we're not, we're not following Baptists. We're not following Catholic. We're not following Pentecostal. We're not following something that was man-made. Okay? We're following the Bible as much as we can. Not saying that we even have everything perfect on it or that we somehow have the, the perfect revelation or perfect understanding. Not that at all. But uh, we just believe, and, and actually in our church, you would see a, a big representation because we have a lot of people from Baptist backgrounds. We have a lot of people from Pentecostal, Assemblies of God backgrounds, even some Catholic people from you know different backgrounds. Why? Because when a, when a person comes in this place, they, I th- the, our goal and our heart is that you understand that we're just going after God. We're trying to follow the Bible. And there's not like a tenant list of faith that we just have to hold to everything because our denomination says so. It's not that. We follow the Word. And if we believed something and then we come across something in the Word that sh- shows us we were wrong, guess what? We change it. That's what we do. If we find out that the Bible said this, and we didn't have an understanding about that, then we adjust. And how many of you know that's how every individual believer's life is supposed to be? Because when you got saved 10 years ago, you didn't magically get a perfect understanding of the Word. Churches are this way. Pastors are this way. Leaders are this way. We're continually growing, continually under understanding the Bible differently and, and all of that. So the Bible never changes, but our understanding grows. As we grow in Christ and we become more like Christ, our understanding grows. So I'm saying all that because these are the issues that are getting dealt with in Acts chapter 15. They're arguing over something that wasn't important to God. At this moment, whether or not the Gentiles were being circumcised was not on God's mind, didn't care about it. And you find out through the chapter, God didn't care about it. But these men cared so much about it. I mean, I've heard... Because I've been in church my whole life. I mean, you couldn't believe some of the stories that I've heard. You know, people not being allowed in church because they got on a baseball cap or something like that. Which, by the way, a few of you'd have to leave tonight. I see, I see you back there. No, you're all right, Jimbo. Put it back on. It looks better with it on. Just put it on. Uh, you know, crazy stuff. People, people that came into the church for the first time, somebody had been praying for them. Right? Somebody's been praying for their husband, praying for their child to be in church the first time. And the first time they walk in church, some religious per- person walk up to them and say, Hey, you don't come in here dressed like that. This is the Lord's house. You're supposed to honor. Hold on a minute. You, you are speaking for yourself. You're not speaking for God. See, and you just got, you were so focused on man's tradition that you totally missed God. And what God cared about was that person coming to Jesus and getting saved. And the, the Pharisees were notorious for this. Notorious. People trying to get to God. People trying to get to Jesus. And they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not, you're not clean enough. You're not right enough. People trying to get to God. Not Jesus. They weren't for Jesus. But people trying to get to God. The Pharisees were constantly putting obstacles in front of people. And this is what Jesus came at them about. He said, you, you heap up burdens onto people. And he said, you're blind yourself, but you... You're, you're leading people as if you can see. He said, you're already in the ditch, and you're leading other people in the ditch. You're not leading people to God. You're leading them away from God. And here's the, here's the point of it. Some of you have experienced it, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But religious, man-made tradition 
does not draw people to God. It pushes people away from God. And there's a lot of that in the body of Christ. It doesn't make those churches that are like that, doesn't make them bad people, doesn't make their pastor a, a bad pastor, none of that. I'm just saying it needs to be corrected and it needs to be adjusted. It should be made right um, because people ought to have free access to God. The Bible, the, the spirit, I should say, of the New Testament is come as you are. All right? And then, of course, God will change you and and uh, make you more like him. So that's what's going on here. And this always happens. It always happens. God's doing something amazing. God, you know, there, it's almost like the spirit of God is moving. People are getting saved. People are coming to Christ. And then there's going to be a group of people that rises up to go, well, hold on a minute. And they're going to bring up something or bring something in that God doesn't care about. And they miss the whole fact that God's moving and reaching and people are coming to God. They Somehow they miss that and they get focused on this one little thing. We've had that happen here, you know, in years. People get real focused on little things and things that don't matter. And that's what they were doing here. So they go to Jerusalem. They're trying to figure it out. Paul and Barnabas go. They talk to, they get all the apostles together. And this is what they, this is where they come to. Verse 6, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. You remember in the beginning of the book of Acts that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit? Tongues of fire came down on each of them. They began speaking in tongues. It was a miracle. Nobody could deny that something miraculous had happened in their life. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, y'all remember that amazing event where the Holy Spirit was poured out and it was undeniable that that was a supernatural thing from God? He said, well, when I went and preached to Cornelius and the Gentiles, the same thing happened. The Holy Spirit came out of, came from heaven and rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, that's a supernatural event. Man can't do that. So by the fact that it was supernatural, it was God's approval. That's what he's saying. So he said, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. In other words, we who had lived by the law and all those things, we received the Holy Spirit. And those who had just heard about the Holy Spirit and had never followed the law, they got the Holy Spirit too. You remember Jesus kind of gave a parable about this too when he was talking about the workers that came. He said some of the workers, they came and they worked all day. And then some of the workers only came and worked for an hour, but they all got the same price. They all got the same pay. This is kind of an example of that as well. These Gentiles that had never followed God, never followed the law, well, they still got the blessing of grace and of the Holy Spirit. So he says, verse 10, well, if that's how things are, and that's what God's trying to do, verse 10, he says, well, then, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Man, you got to love that. He says, if we're honest, none of us have been able to follow the law anyway. Now you're trying to put that on them like they're supposed to be following the law. If you were to be honest, you haven't been following it yourself. So he said, you were never able to bear it. Our fathers were were never able to bear it. 
But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. In other words, that old way of being made right with God has passed away and the new way of grace has come. So don't dare go back to the old way. And Paul, really the whole book of Galatians is about this issue of don't try to go back to being made right with God through works and through following the law. That's not how it's done now. Skip down to verse 19. Therefore, my judgment, Peter's still talking, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now, here's what's going on here. Basically, he told them two things. Number one, food that has been offered to idols because it was, you know, say it was a form of satanic worship that a lot of them were part of, even if they didn't know they were worshiping Satan. But through idol worship, uh, this was still a big part of their culture and of their society. Was, you know, meat. And things like that that had been killed and sacrificed to a certain god or to an idol. And Paul ends up having addressed this whole thing in other places in the New Testament. But the issue was that it's a form, you know, eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols was a form of idol worship. And many of them had come out of that. And so whereas you or I might could go in the market and buy something that had been sacrificed to an idol and not care one bit about it, you know, it's just a little chicken, uh, chicken leg or something like that, barbecue chicken leg, and we eat it and don't care nothing about it. For these guys, they had come out of that as idol worship, and it was going to be a stumbling block for them. And then sexual immorality is self-explanatory. So he said, basically, just tell them two things. Now remember, there's 613 commandments in the law. And, it, and this is what they walked away with. After all their meeting and all their discussion, they said, look, tell them to stay away from idol worship, which that was one of the most important commandments, right, is serve one God. I shall, you shall have no gods before me. And stay away from sexual immorality. Verse 21. For from ancient generations... Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Bersabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. So they, they send Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. They've got a letter, and this is what the letter read. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of the mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. Now, 
you could read from this plain enough what they were doing there, but let's, let's apply it to our situation. What is the spirit of what's going on here? What is the, the heart and the, and the mindset behind what they're trying to do here? They do not want to put any obstacle between somebody who is trying to come to Jesus Christ by, by faith. See, they don't, they, and if we put it in modern day, you know, what are some obstacles that have prevented people from coming to God? What are some obstacles that have prevented people from just being able to come to God and receive the, the grace and the salvation that, that he offers for them? Well, I know there, that uh, in churches there's quite a few things. We talked about a bunch of them last week. But I mentioned for one, uh, well, one that I'll mention tonight is even the way that we dress at church. See, if you look around the room tonight, everybody's real casual. And you think, well, is that important? Does it really matter? I think it does. Because I know a lot of people that I've talked to in my day that I've heard these words come out of their mouth when they're invited to church. Oh, I can't go to church. I don't have nothing to wear. Because in their mind, church is, you got to have a suit, you got to dress a certain way, you got to be all shiny, and you got, and maybe some of them have walked in church and had somebody say something to them. Believe it or not, I have heard of those instances. Somebody walked in church and had somebody say something to them about it. Well, maybe they didn't have anything better to wear, but bigger than that, where in your Bible does it say that you have to dress to the hilt <laughs> to come to church and that that somehow honors God? You don't find that anywhere in your Bible. And the other thing is, when people do dress the best that they possibly can, I can tell you this, most of them do not have God in mind. <laughs> I, never, I never met one person, if they were honest, that when they were getting dressed for church, looking in the mirror, that they were thinking, God, I just know this honors you so much. I'm putting all this makeup on for you today. I'm getting the best suit I can out for you, God, because I know, guess what? God don't, excuse me, God doesn't care. Okay. He doesn't care. And be honest, you're not doing it for God anyway. You're doing it for you and other, other people. It's not really for God. And sometimes people say, oh, well, it is. Well, if it is, okay, that's between you and God. That's, you know, if you think that that somehow worships God or, or honors God, and I get it. Sometimes it's a matter of honor or respect in a person's mind. But here's the point. I don't care what you wear when you come to church. You can wear a suit if you want to. You can wear a hat. You can wear a tuxedo. You can wear whatever you want. But I, but I also want to create an environment where when people walk in, they understand, I don't have to be dressed to the, I can come in a t-shirt and jeans, and that doesn't say anything about my holiness or my religiosity, or I can just come in and come as I am and meet God. It might seem simple, but it's not. It's important because it's, it's, communicating, it's communicating something to the world. When they come in, it's not us just trying to be, oh, hip and trendy and, you know, oh, we don't wear suits anymore. It's not that. It's that, I mean, it's some, I think I wore a suit last Sunday, so that's fine. I dress how I want. You know, if I want to dress nice, I do. If I want to wear jeans, I wear jeans. And you should do the same. But the point is, is that little things like that are constantly communicating people, communicating things to people about how they can relate and connect to God. You know, a lot of times people come in church and they feel like they're not holy enough. This is a big one. They feel like... Man, all these people have everything right. You know, they've been following the Bible. I'm, I'm new to all this. 
and these people have been following the Bible, I have to look in the table of contents when the pastor says, turn here, I can't find a book. I don't know if it's in the Old Testament or the New. And they feel all that. And Christians are notoriously bad about giving off that air. Because many times Christians are not real. They're not vulnerable. They're not authentic. They don't share their struggles. They do act like they have it all together. Well, Jesus criticized that. He said the Pharisees did that. That's being hypocritical. You know what the word hypocrite means? It means actor. It means pretender. Jesus is the one who coined that phrase, hypocrite for the Pharisees specifically. It didn't mean what it means today. When he called them hypocrite, he was saying, y'all are a bunch of actors, a bunch of pretenders. Y'all pretend like you're holy, but you're really not. He says, actually, that, that sinner over there who's humble before God and praying, he said, he actually has more of a chance of, of being heard by God than you do. He said, because you're just pretending. So, at least at our church, as much as we have a responsible, we want to let people know this isn't a place for just super holy people that already have all of their lives together. And it's okay. People are going to, we expect people to come in at every level. People that this was the first Sunday they heard about God and they don't know anything about God. And people that have been walking the faith for 30, 40, 50 years. All are welcome, whatever, whatever state they're at. And it's our job as believers to give off that air and make sure that's the environment that we're creating. And I think we do a pretty good job of it, even though we've got to realign every now and then. So if you read the heart of what they're doing, he says, look, if you do these two things, okay, if you keep yourself from these, you'll do well. Do you think Peter knows that there's a lot more things that these believers know, or excuse me, that these believers need. I mean, he didn't say anything to them about prayer. He didn't say anything to them about faithful church attendance. He didn't say anything to them about tithing. He didn't say anything to them about serving the poor. There's a lot of other things that they need to be doing and that they need to grow in. But the reason that they, they gave them these is because he said, look, these are the two things that are going to really trip you up and make you fall away from the Lord. And he said, all these other things, they're, they're going to be added over time. You're going to grow in them. You're going you're to grow in Christ. You're going to grow in maturity. You're going to grow in the Lord. And that should be our mindset too, is that when people come, they're not going to have it all together and they need space to grow. They need space to develop and draw closer to the Lord. And really, that takes years. That takes years. But what Christians do a lot of times is they judge. They, they ju they're constantly judging other people. And this isn't just uh, something that, that I've experienced or that I know from being around Christians. This is a perception that the world has. Because you're going to hear this all the time from the world. And man, Christians are so judgmental. Well, why do they think that? Because that's what they've experienced. That's been their experience, whether right or wrong. So it's our job to make sure that we're judging ourselves and that we're way, way, way better at judging ourselves than we are judging other people. Most people are experts at judging other people and they're blind to their own selves. It should really be the opposite. We should be experts at judging ourselves before God, not through condemnation, but judging ourselves through the word and almost blind to other people's faults and shortcomings 
or at least definitely a little bit more cloudy, you know, than we are now. Because usually we can so clearly see everybody else's faults, and when it comes to our own, it's very hard to see. And that's not, it's supposed to be the other way around. I want to read you a couple other scriptures from other places in the New Testament uh, to see this, this idea. This is Colossians 2.16. Paul wrote this to the Colossians. He said, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with, with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, this is not a conclusive list. But what he was uh, telling the believers is, is like, there's all these different opinions about should you eat this, should you not, should you drink this, should you not, should you celebrate on, this, on Saturday or Sunday, or do, should we be celebrating this festival or this or not, and they're all arguing about it, and Paul said, look, let me just tell you, he said, let nobody pass judgment on, on you on these things. You need to answer to God for these things. A lot of these things are matter of conscience. And he said they actually don't matter to God. They just matter to man a whole lot. These are a shadow, he said, of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on aestheticism. You know what aestheticism is? It, it is the perfecting of the outside. Making sure that the outside looks right and and good and perfect. He said, let no one disqualify you insisting on aestheticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. So he said, see, these people's problem is that they're not holding fast to the head, which is Christ. They're all caught up in all these other things. He said, if they had just made Jesus their goal, made Jesus their aim and they were holding tight to Jesus, then they would see all these other things correctly. The reason they don't see these other things correctly is because they've not held fast to Jesus. From who the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Meaning man-made, man-made regulations. Now, why does, the, why does the New Testament spend so much time on this? Because you're going to read about all of this in almost every epistle that you read. There's going to be a, a portion dealing with this type of stuff, especially like the book of Galatians. And there are others, 1 Corinthians. They, they deal, Paul has to deal with this issue over and over again. And he's writing to Christians... Think about it from Paul's perspective. Paul is, he considers himself, you know, the apostle or the elder of these churches. And these are sheep that are precious to God. And he's saying, listen, he, he found this important to tell them, don't submit to all these man-made regu regulations. And we find out why in the book of Galatians, he says, because it's actually anti-gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, come to Christ through grace and faith, right? And then, and then grow in, in your relationship with the Lord, grow in sanctification, grow in your mind being renewed, and all of that. But these regulations, he said, that is so outside of the gospel. Now, 
The Pharisees did it here. The, there's a group called the Judaizers. They did it. The circumcision party, they did it. But there's always a group. There's always a group of people trying to say, if you really want to follow God, you got to do this. you got to look like this. you got to cut your hair like this. you got to eat this. Don't eat that. Drink this. Don't touch. Worship on this day. All, all of this stuff. No, you can't, can't have you know, TV. You can't do this. There's just all these things that people will, will do. And this is what Paul said. He said, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, then why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, meaning man-made regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. These have, now this is the, this is the part right here you got to see. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, that's almost counterintuitive, isn't it? See, people think, man thinks, that when you are severe on the body, right, when you are severe and you don't, and there's, you know, all the fasting and the, like monasteries, think about monasteries, they go to the, you know, the monasteries and they cut off every evil thing from the world and they have, you know, they only eat bread and water and they fast and they pray and they beat their head against the floor and they hum and they do all of these things. Severity of the body, he said, it has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but actually, he says, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Isn't that something? Why? Because it doesn't do anything for your mind or your heart. It doesn't do anything for your mind or your heart. You could put yourself in a straitjacket with a blindfold on, and throw you in some padded cell, and your mind and your heart can still lead you into all kind of sin. Because your mind and your heart, out of the heart comes, Jesus said, all kinds of wickedness. And the mind has to be renewed with the Word of God and washed with the Word of God Because our thoughts and our hearts can be wicked before God too. It's not only our actions, but all of this, all of what he's talking about only deals with the physical actions. And this is what Jesus dealt with over and over again with the Pharisees. He said, y'all are so good at washing the outside of the cup. Because the outside of the cup is the only thing that man sees and that's the only thing that you care about. So you wash that over and over again. You wash that to make that shiny and perfect and clean. But the inside of the cup is filthy and dirty. Another example he used was a tomb. He said the tomb is, is beautiful and landscaped and whitewashed and it's, it's beautiful. He said, but you're like whitewashed tombs that have been cleaned and scrubbed and landscaped and beautiful on the outside. But on the inside is dead, full of dead men's bones. In other words, on the outside, you've got all this physical fleshly severity to the body and you look super disciplined and you look super holy to everyone else he said but on the inside you are rotten to the core the love of God is not in you 
and there's all kinds of jealousy and envy and lust and all of these other things on the inside of you. And he said, you know how to make it look good on the outside, but you haven't dealt with anything in here. And so Jesus had to deal with it. Paul had to deal with it. We have to deal with it. It's still a thing. And listen, if you, if you, came, in, if you came into this church and I said, hey, uh, in order to be part of this church, you have to wear, you know, X, Y, Z. You got to do this. You got to cut your hair. You gotta, and I started laying out a list of all things. Well, those, are, those would just be all man-made traditions. And actually, they wouldn't be doing anything to actually improve your character or your heart towards God. So we have to be very careful about this. We have to be careful not only for our own selves, but for those who are trying to come to Christ. Because those who are trying to come to Christ, if they see people that they just look super holy and the outside of the cup is just all shiny and clean, and they don't realize that every one of us are still dealing with inward things in here and in here, then it pushes them away from God because they think, well, I could never attain that. I could never reach that, that level of, of holiness. But actually, that's not true. We, we all are a work in progress. And nobody has it down just right. And actually, if you, if you looked at anybody's life, uh, it's, it's more like this than anything else. Like it's, you, you, on some days, it's like this, and then you got some days down here, and you got to repent and get things right, and then it's... And hopefully it's like a, a stock graph that's at least on its way up, you know, but hopefully it's not like this, you know. That's how some people are. But, but that's important for you to know. It's important for me to know. And let me, let me say this, too. This is another important point that, that you need to know about how God sees it and about how you should see yourself, Okay. Are there any among us that live really holy lives, uh, you know, m say like way more than someone else? Well, probably, you know, somebody that's been walking with the Lord for 20, 30 years and they've, they've dealt with a lot of their hangups, they've dealt with a lot of their, you know, issues and, and God's cleansed them and all those things. Praise God for that. And then is there somebody else that just is getting started and they, they're full of hang-ups and they got every single day, maybe every minute, they're just messing up and having to repent. Well, I, I think of it like this, you know, salvation, righteousness, okay, none of that is acquired through that scale that we were just talking about. In other words, if you've got somebody who is super holy in your mind, they're still a million miles away from salvation without the grace of God and without the cross. You know, I think of it like if you had a boulder the size of this room, and you've got me, and then you've got the, the winner of last year's strongman competition, you know, and we're both standing here, and we're both trying to lift it. Well, I mean, yeah, he's a lot stronger than me. And maybe he can lift 10 times what I can lift. He's still not going to budge the boulder. It doesn't matter that he's that much stronger than me. You see what I'm saying? My level of strength and his level of strength are both futile against a certain a, a boulder of that size. And that's what we're dealing with with the gospel. Are there people that maybe are more holier than others? Yes. But it's like that boulder. 
you could have never lived holy enough to earn your salvation. It doesn't matter how holy you think you are or how righteous you think you are, how good you think you are, or how little sin you think you have. Without Christ, it was all, we were all on our way to hell, and we could have never purchased salvation. We never could have obtained salvation without the cross. Amen? Amen. So, that's the message of the gospel. And this is why Paul is so, uh, so hard on that. This is why he deals with this and hits this so hard. He says, if you're one of those, okay, that you think that by cleaning the outside of the cup, you can impress man and impress God. He said, all you're doing is deceiving man, but you're not, you're not tricking God. Now, should we clean up our lives? Should we try to live holy lives? Should we abstain from sin and all that? Yes, of course. Absolutely. But self-righteousness is itself a sin. So, yeah, if, if you clean up and you do well on the outside, great. That's good. You should, you should do that. And there's lots of things we should be following from the Scripture as long as you don't think that that's where your right standing with God is coming from. Your right standing with God is not coming from your own self-righteousness. It's coming as a gift to you from His righteousness. So, I think that as, okay, as, a, as a pastor, you know, I thought one way as, say, a youth pastor before I had kids. Um, then, after I became a pastor and I became a father, I began to see grace a little bit differently. I began to see mercy a little bit differently. If you, if you think about how you used to think before you had kids, and, uh, you know, <laughs> Most of us, before we had kids and we saw kids acting up, this, were, this was kind of our response. Well, I tell you one thing, my kids will never act like that. <laughs> my kids will never act like that because I'll tear that butt up. I'll tell you what their problem is, is those kids ain't getting a spanking. That's the problem. And I, if my kids, they're not going to act like that. How many of you stuck your foot in your mouth <laughs> once you had your own kids? And we became a lot more patient we became a lot more grace a lot more we understood oh it's not exactly black and white there's a lot to discipline there's a lot to it and understanding where a kid is at and even if you have multiple kids you understand one kid might get disciplined for something that the other one won't because this one understands it and the other one doesn't and they have different levels of understanding they have different levels of rebellion they ha- there's a lot of factors so you grow in mercy and in grace and in, and in compassion and then before you had kids you know, you go out to a restaurant, and, and there's two parents over there with a little newborn crying. And you're like, what, what kind of ding-dongs bring their, church, their kids out to the restaurant like that? I mean, who brings their kids to a restaurant? Then you have your own kids, and you go, oh, I now understand. They ain't been out of the house in three months, so it was either that or die. You know, they had to, so you, had, you grow in grace and mercy. You grow, you grow in your grace and your understanding. And that, when I became a pastor... That happened also because you deal with people constantly and you think a certain way about sinners and sin and you think a certain way. And then when you pastor Christian you know, people all the time, you realize that that's not how God sees his church. He's not angry all the time and mad and, and ready to bash people over the head all the time. That's not his heart at all. And you realize the real struggles and the real difficulties that people have. 
and that God's heart for them is compassion, forgiveness, restoration. And many believers, though, are like the parent, are like the people that have never had kids, and they think they think one way when what they really need is a good dose of God's heart and compassion for people. And they wouldn't be so judgmental if they had that. But see, there's a lot of things that we love to judge about, and this is what Paul said in Romans chapter 14. See, Paul had this heart. He had such a heart for all the churches. He carried all the churches in his heart. And it's why he addressed these things over and over again. Romans 14.1. He said, ask for the one who is weak in faith. Now, what he's referring to here, you're going to see this when we read the passage. What he's calling a person who is weak in faith is a person who is grieved by something that he should not be grieved by. In other words, someone who thinks that something is wrong, but it's actually not wrong in the eyes of God. And he's calling that person weak in faith. This way he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In other words, if there's somebody who just thinks, we'll, we'll use the circumcision thing that he was talking about before. Somebody just thinks it has to be this way and, it, you know, let them come in. Okay? They're, they're allowed to come in with their opinion, but they're not allowed to quarrel over it and try to share it constantly and push this point of view. If he said you can't do that, you got to shut it down and let them know you are welcome here, but not if you're going to quarrel and spread this inaccurate way of seeing it. Okay, so he said, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So here he's calling, you know, he says, if you're a vegetarian, you're weak. You know, I don't know. That's what he, that's what Paul said. I don't, let me read it again, you know. See, Paul was not a vegan, okay? If you're vegan, Go, but don't come in here quarreling over it. No, we don't ever have nothing like that. But he said, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person, the one who, act, and, and it's another, another word would be immature, eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. My gosh, if we could just follow this in the church. If we could just realize, man, God's leading me to do this, or I feel like I should be doing this, and then not judge everybody else around us, whether they do or whether they don't. That would be a beautiful thing. But the church has notoriously just not been good at this. Instead, what we do is we go, well, I do this, and I live this way, and so we may not even say it, but we think it's so I'm a little bit higher than you. You know, I'm a little bit more mature than you. I'm a little bit further along than you because I do these things. And what Paul is saying is that's actually not right. He said, let the one who partakes not, uh, let the one who eats, excuse me, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you? And this is a big question. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? In other words, they don't serve you, they serve God. 
So why are you passing judgment on them? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. In other words, let God deal with them. It's not your business. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. I mean, I've listened to sermons online where people talk about, uh, you know, the Sabbath is not really Sunday, and so you have to worship on Saturday. And I have, I have literally listened to sermons that tried to say, if you do not worship on Saturday, you're going to hell. And I'm just like, I guess you never read this scripture. I guess you never came across Romans 14. But he said one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Who's right? He says, well, here's the thing. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. See, the Pharisees were real confused about this uh, with the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. They said, John the Baptist... And, and Jesus told him, he said, you weren't happy either way. He said, John the Baptist came, and he was fasting all the time, abstaining from everything. He never ate anything. He never drank anything. He just ate honey and locusts, living out. And he said, the Son of Man comes, and he doesn't abstain from anything. The Son of Man comes, he eats, he drinks, he hangs out with sinners. And he says, you, you, you can't be happy either way. You condemn me for eating and drinking, call me a glutton, and then you condemn John the Baptist on the other side. He said, you can't be happy either way. And they were very confused about this. But what's the? But who's right? Was John the Baptist right or was Jesus right? Well, according to Paul, this is what he said. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, this is kind of just Paul's way of saying, it's none of your business. Okay, what's your business is what you do before God. And it's not anybody else's business. Now, we're not talking about sin, okay? Sin is spelled out very clearly in Bible, but there's a lot of things that are not considered sin in the Bible, and they're just left up to a matter of conscience. And if it grieves you, don't do it. If it bothers you, don't do it. That's between you and the Lord, okay? Uh, there are things that grieve me that I know perfectly well they're, they're not a sin. I know 100% they're not a sin. But for me and the way the Lord's training me and what he's trying to do in my life, I, I don't feel comfortable, you know, partaking or being a part of that. That's my, that's, that's between me and God. But I don't go around saying that everybody else should be doing that. That's just what I felt like I was supposed to do. Sometimes that comes in seasons, like whole seasons, six months, a year. I won't do certain things or be part of certain things, not because they're sin, just because it's almost like a time of fasting to the Lord in that way. And I just feel like I don't, wanna, I don't want to, you know, watch this or do that or just a choice. Other seasons, it doesn't bother me and I don't care. But it's like a season of dedication to the Lord. So you never know what a person's doing. You never know, you know, that's between them and God. And so what we would be wise to do is to just totally get out of the habit of judging other people in the first place and just judging our own selves because we don't know what God's doing with them or why they're doing that or why they're not or why they don't do it the way we do it. 
and just not only within the church, but between churches and denominations as well. That becomes important. There's a, uh, one way I heard it said that I really like is that in the Bible, there are essentials and there are non-essentials. The essentials are things that we should hold so tightly to, like the cross, right? You can't get that wrong. You know, that, that has to be right. That's not one that you can be off on, all right? But there are also then non-essentials, meaning there are things that are important, but they're not, they're not those essential items that have to be right. And so there should be room for that. Let me say this, and we're going to close. Christian maturity is not loving and being around people who think just like you. Christian maturity is being able to love and fellowship with people who do not necessarily agree on the non-essentials. But I can still love you and be around you and respect you and, and value you, even though we don't necessarily agree on certain, certain items. How many of you know the church would be stronger and better if that's how we thought? In other words, if... The Baptists weren't over here, and the Catholics over here, and the Pentecostals over here, and oh, we, we don't, you know, we can't hang out because we differ on this. Well, yeah, we, we differ, but we all believe Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? We all believe in the cross. We all believe in grace. We all believe, you know, in salvation. And those are the essentials. Do we disagree on the non essentials? Yes. Does that make you not saved or us? No. I think, there, I think there's a lot of groups that are going to be totally surprised about who's all in heaven. And I think they're going to see a few denominations across the way and go, ah, I didn't know you was going to make it. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and the church, the, when I say the church, the church at large would be a stronger and better place if we had that understanding and, and had that room in our heart that everybody doesn't have to think just like us. Uh, we have to think right on these big issues, but there's a lot of smaller issues that we should have room for people to think differently on. Amen.